welcome to Australian Women Preach, a podcast that aims to raise women's voices in preaching the gospel. Our intention is to model the church we want to be, inclusive, diverse and welcoming. Brought to you by WATAC, Women and the Australian Church and The Grail in Australia. Theresa Brown is a Melbourne-based theologian who teaches in the Faculty of Theology and Philosophy at Australian Catholic University. Her PhD explored the relationship between Trinitarian faith and Christian life through the lens of a theology of interruption. She's currently working on two books, Recontextualization in Theory and Practice, which she's co-writing with Robin Horner, and Thinking God in Contemporary Theology, Postmodern Theology, Interruption and Trinitarian Faith. I am here on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and I honour their continuous spiritual and cultural connection to the land. It is my pleasure to share my reflections on the readings for Trinity Sunday 2023. I want to begin by describing an image of the Trinity that has always resonated with me. It's the sketch of the Trinity from the notebook of William Blake, folio N104, drawn in 1793. In the foreground of this sketch, a pencil drawing, we see a human form, arms outstretched, perhaps facing the viewer, head down, vulnerable. The positioning of the hands and feet immediately reminded us of the cross. The figure is Christ, the Son, the Redeemer. Behind him, a broad, strong figure, also a human-like form, crouches down, arms thrown forward over the shoulders of the Son, drawing him into a warm, loving, protective embrace. The image, the symbol of the Father, Mother, Creator. Above the pair, Broad, vibrant, protective wings beat and hover. The air moves with each beat, sustaining all that is, protecting, consoling, the image of the Holy Spirit. The most striking thing about this sketch for me is the way the arms of the sun beckon the viewer to step in, to join the embrace, to be vulnerable with the sun and to feel secure in the warmth. This is the image of the Trinity. The love that exists in God, between the persons in God, flows out of God into the world, inviting all of the world into relationship. A dear colleague, Tony Kelly, once wrote, God is love by being Trinity. Indeed, this is the affirmation at the heart of Christian faith. And yet many Christians rarely stop to think about what belief in God as Trinity actually means and what it may imply for Christian life. And so we turn to the readings for today. The readings chosen for Trinity Sunday are no accident. They tell the story of Trinitarian love. In the first reading, Exodus 34, 4-9, the divine name is revealed. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses and proclaimed the name the Lord, verse 5. Just as in Exodus 3, in the narrative of Moses at the burning bush, 
In this text, the Tetragrammaton, the letters Y, H, W, H, is translated as the Lord. But in the original Hebrew, it is connected with the verb Hayah, to be. The divine name is I am. So, with this in mind, we hear in verse 6, I am a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Here, God reveals God's very self as loving and faithful, inviting Moses and his people into relationship. In the second reading, the concluding verses of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, Paul exhorts the community to live in peace and in doing so, to recognise the God of love and peace, verse 11, who is with them. The community is divided. They have questioned Paul's authority. Their relationship with Paul is strained. Paul calls for peace, invoking the relational love of God through a triadic benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you, Paul says in verse 13. The God of love, the God who is the relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinitarian God, is God with us in our human experience. I am reminded here of the great creation myths of Genesis. The love in God is not contained in God. It flows out of God into creation and sustains all of creation in being. It is important to note that this triadic formula is by no means a fleshed-out doctrine of the Trinity. That comes much later. But what we learn here is that love flows out of God to human beings. And in the outpouring of love, the community is drawn into God's life. Social Trinitarians such as Jürgen Moltmann would take this further to say that the communion of love that the Holy Spirit brings unifies the community, enables the community to mould itself as the image of Trinitarian love. And in doing so, draws the community into God's life. This need not be understood as the reduction of differences within the community, though. In the Lucan retelling of the narrative of the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all flesh in such a way that differences are maintained and embraced, not elided. This is the love revealed in the Trinity. We might recall the work of the mystic Dennis the Areopagite here, and say that God is love by being difference in unity and unity in difference. In the Trinitarian relationship of love, the difference between Father, Son, and Spirit is held in tension with the unity that is one God. Each distinct person of the Trinity is not subsumed into the others, but maintains its distinction. At the same time, it is precisely the differences between the persons that enables their unity. As we see in the narrative of the Pentecost, and perhaps here too in Paul's community in Corinth, the communion of the Holy Spirit sustains and embraces differences and unifies through these differences. And so we come to the Gospel, John chapter 3, 16-18. Here, we hear of God's gift of the Son, so that all who believe may have eternal life. Here, we learn again that God is love, that God gives God's very self as love, and as love, God invites human beings into relationship. God is relational. 
The short excerpt from John 3 sits within Jesus' visit with Nicodemus. Jesus says to Nicodemus, The spirit blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Verse 8. God reaches out to humankind in invitation. The invitation calls for a response, a dialogue, an assent in faith. Whoever believes in the Son of Man who has been lifted up may have eternal life, we hear in verse 14 to 15. Verse 17 is striking. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, we read. The world is loved by God. We are not saved in order to be saved from the world. Salvation is relational. We are saved for relationship with God, for eternal life with God. As invitations go, the person is free to reject God's offer of relationship and in doing so chooses to be without God. The striking element here is the understanding of love that is revealed. God's love is agape a love that is completely centred on the one who is loved. In the sending of the Son, God gives God's very self so that we, the ones who are loved, might join God in relationship. That is the beauty and the challenge of Christian faith. In Christ, we see what agape looks like when it is lived, complete being for the other. Catherine Tanner puts this eloquently when she says, quote, In Christ, the Trinity enters our world to work over human life in its image through the incorporation of the human within the divine Trinitarian life. In Christ, we are shown what the Trinity looks like when it includes the human and what humanity looks like when it is included in the Trinity's own movements, the character of a human life with others when it takes a Trinitarian form, end quote. The Christian understanding of love, agapic love, which Christ embodies and lives out, asks that we not only love those who are easy to love, but that we also love our enemies, those who are hardest to love, those who are most different from ourselves, those who challenge us, those who remind us of our vulnerability. This is the particular call of Christian faith. The unity in difference that is God the Trinity poured out into the world calls those who are sent in faith to live a life centred on the other. In today's first reading, God is both revealed and concealed. The divine name, I am, speaks of who God is and how God is, while at the same time pointing beyond the confines of language, referring to the mystery that remains. The symbol of the cloud descending upon the mountain serves as an added reminder of this mystery, Even as we name God, God is beyond all names. So too in naming God as Trinity. The apophatic nature of Trinitarian doctrine names God as a relationship of love, the love between Father, Son and Spirit. In doing so, the doctrine calls beyond the name God to the excess that we cannot name, the relationship. God is the mystery of a love that is beyond our understanding. And so we use metaphors and analogies. Father, Son and Spirit point metaphorically to the relationship in God. St Augustine's analogy builds on this when he says that in the Trinity, the Father is the one who loves, the Son 
is the one who is loved, and the spirit is the love between the two. In other words, Augustine says that God is love because God is the lover, the beloved, and the love itself. For many women in the church today, the almost exclusive use of masculine constructs to name God in the Trinitarian formula has led to a feeling of being excluded, unseen, and silenced. For human beings, names matter. They strike at the depths of our consciousness. They invoke a sense of seeing and being seen, of knowing and being known. And they affirm otherness while at the same time serving as an invitation for relationship with the other. But in naming God, as we see in the first reading for today, names reveal and conceal, I am. The names we use for God point to the relationship we have with God and at the same time remind us that God is beyond our human constructs. As Trinity, God is beyond gender, beyond name, beyond human constructs. Our language can only ever point to the relationship. Our language can only ever be metaphorical. As Elizabeth Johnson so clearly argued in She Who Is, we would do well to remember the metaphoric nature of language for God and include the use of feminine analogies and images alongside masculine ones when speaking of and referring to God the Trinity. Now, to return to the idea of God as difference in unity and the implications of this affirmation for Christian life. Let us pick up the question implied in the quote from Catherine Tanner, which I referred to earlier. What might the character of a human life with others look like when it takes a Trinitarian form? In short, dialogue. If God is relational, and if God is the relationship of love between the persons of the Trinity, then God is dialogue. In the second reading today, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, we learn that salvation occurs within community. From a Christian perspective, when human beings live in mutual love and respect for one another, when we put the needs of the vulnerable first, when our differences are celebrated and welcomed, when we recognise that the encounter with the other is potentially an encounter with God and affirm that encounter with the ascent to faith, the communion Koinonia of the Holy Spirit comes among us and we are drawn into God's life. But there is an additional dimension that warrants our consideration. We live in diverse contexts and Christian faith cannot make a claim on God to the extent that we would say that God does not reveal outside of the confines of the Christian narrative. The Australian context is characterised by difference. Diverse worldviews characterise our political, religious, cultural and social spaces and we no longer automatically structure our identities in relation to religious frames of reference. Our contexts are becoming increasingly pluralised and detraditionalized. For Christians who affirm belief in a Trinitarian God, God with us in human experience, the diversity in Australian communities is something to celebrate because it is within this context of diversity and in the spaces of dialogue within that diversity that we might recognise the stirrings of the Holy Spirit, calling us to look again at our understanding of who and how God is. And so it is that in a recent document of the Dicastery for Culture and Education, we read, 
quote, the church considers dialogue as a constitutive dimension rooted precisely in the Trinitarian dynamics of dialogue, in the dialogue between God and human beings and in the dialogue among human beings themselves, end quote. To this end, the document calls Christians to practice the grammar of dialogue, not as a technical expedient, but as a profound way of relating to others. Indeed, when Christians practice the grammar of dialogue, that is, when Christians dialogue with others in such a way as to respect the otherness of the other, we live out the particular call of Christian faith, a life centred on the other, and we witness to and image the Trinity, the ultimate dialogical relationship that holds difference in unity. You have been listening to Australian Women Preach, brought to you by WATAC, Women and the Australian Church, and The Grail in Australia. You can find out more about WATAC at watac.net.au and The Grail at grailaustralia.org.au. The music in this podcast is from the song Truth, from the album Into Silence, by songwriter, musician, theologian and teacher Danielle Ann Lynch. You can hear the full version on Spotify. Spotify.